Lesson 6, The Ministry of Peter, for August 4 through to 10, ready for teaching on August 11. Sabbath afternoon, August 4. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come at the beginning of this week to ask your blessing on our study of your word. We're looking this week at Peter, one of the stars of the New Testament, but one of the most humble men we'll ever meet. One who denied his Lord, but then came fully to follow him and to be able to share with others the love and the grace that comes from you. And we pray that as we look at this story this week, that we may more fully understand you and your love for us and have the expectation that one day soon, Jesus, who Peter loved so much, will come again. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory verse this week is Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Let's read that again, Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. With Paul's departure to Tarsus, Peter is here again the main character in Luke's narrative of the early days of the Christian church. Peter is portrayed in a sort of itinerant ministry throughout Judea and the surrounding regions. Acts here tells two brief miraculous stories, the healing of Aeneas and the resurrection of Tabitha or Dorcas, which are then followed by the story of Cornelius in chapter 10. The conversion of Gentiles was the most controversial issue in the apostolic church. Though the discussions that followed Cornelius' baptism were far from solving all the difficulties, the outpouring of the Spirit, reminiscent of what had happened at Pentecost, helped to convince Peter and the brethren in Jerusalem that the blessings of the gospel were not restricted to Jews. Meanwhile, the church in Antioch had already started moving toward the Gentiles as well. This week's study also includes the rise of a new short persecution, this time under King Herod, and its impact on the apostles who had been spared in the persecution carried out by Paul. Sunday, August 5, at Lydda and Joppa. Peter was visiting the Christian communities through the coastal region of Judea. His purpose was probably to give them doctrinal instruction, as it says in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But God used him powerfully to perform miracles in the same fashion as those performed by Jesus himself. Question. Read Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. What similarities do you see in the miracle of Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, and the healing of Aeneas? First of all, Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. 
As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And in Jesus' miracle in Luke 5, verses 17 to 26, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Despite the brevity of the account, the miracle reminds us of the well-known story of the Capernaum paralytic healed by Jesus in Luke 5. Even the detail about the bed is similar. More important, however, was the impact of Aeneas's cure, not only in Lydda, but also in the coastal plain of Sharon. Having verified for themselves the reality of the miracle, many people turned to the Lord. Question, read Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 43. Review the story of Tabitha's resurrection. What was so special about her? Acts 9, beginning at verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying, and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Tabitha, the Aramaic for gazelle, 
in Greek Dorcas, was a believer very dear to her neighbourhood because of her works of Christian charity. The story of her resurrection also parallels a miracle performed by Jesus, the resurrection of Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, which Peter had witnessed. Following Jesus' example, he asked everyone to leave the room. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, verses 41 and 42 and 49 to 56, beginning at verse 41 of Luke chapter 8. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And verse 49... While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher any more. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, All the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And in Mark chapter 5 and verse 40, we read, But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Then he knelt down and prayed, after which he called to the dead woman, Tabitha, get up, in Acts 9 verse 40. The apostles performed many miracles, yet, in fact, these were God's actions through the apostles' hands, as we read in Acts 5.12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. The similarities with Jesus' own miracles were perhaps to remind the church, including us today, that what matters most is not so much who the instrument is, but the measure of his or her surrender to God, as we read in John 14.12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. When we fully allow God to use us for the gospel's sake, great things can happen. Peter not only resurrected Tabitha, but the miracle also led to many conversions in Joppa, as we read in Acts 9.42. This became well known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So to finish today, some people think that if only they could see a real miracle, such as what happened here, then they would believe. And, though at times miracles helped lead some people to faith, The Bible is filled with stories of those who saw miracles and still didn't believe. On what, then, should our faith be based?
Monday, August 6, at Cornelius's house. In Joppa, Peter stayed with a certain Simon, a tanner by trade. As we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 43, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Meanwhile, in Caesarea, about 25 miles or 40 kilometres from Joppa, there lived a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He and his household were devout worshippers of God, though they had not yet formally adhered to Judaism, meaning that Cornelius was still an uncircumcised Gentile. In a God-given vision, he was instructed to send messengers to Joppa and invite Peter to visit him, as we read in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through to 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man back named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Question. Read Acts 10, verses 9 through to 16, and verse 28 and 34 and 35. What did Peter experience, and how did he interpret it? Acts 10, 9 to 16. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And verse 28, he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It is important to know that Peter's vision was not about food, but about people. Yes, it was around noon. Peter was hungry and the voice told him to kill and eat. Yet, God used the vision not to remove the distinction between clean and unclean animals, but to teach Peter about the inclusive character of the gospel. The vision was explicitly intended to break Peter's resistance against Gentiles. 
Peter's view was that if he entered Cornelius's house and fellowship with him, he would defile himself and so become unfit to worship in the temple or to come before God's presence. First century Jews from Judea and the surrounding areas did not associate with uncircumcised Gentiles. The problem was with the contemporary theology which excluded the Gentiles from the commonwealth of Israel even though this view had become a perversion of the whole point of Israel's existence as a nation, which was to reach out to the world with a knowledge of the true God. Because circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, uncircumcised Gentiles came to be segregated and treated with contempt. They could have no part whatsoever in the blessings of the covenant unless they accepted circumcision and became Jews. Such a concept, though, was incompatible with the universal scope of Jesus' death, as the early believers over time were coming to understand. And so to finish today, read Titus 2.11, Galatians 3.26-28, and Ephesians 2.11-19. What do these texts teach us about the universality of the gospel message, What should they tell us about how wrong it is for Christians to harbour prejudice against any group based on ethnicity? First of all, Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Galatians 3.26-28, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. Tuesday, August 7, The Gift of the Spirit Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, reveals a critical moment in the early church's history. 
Acts 10, beginning at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. It was the first time that the gospel was being preached to uncircumcised Gentiles by one of the apostles. Unlike the Hellenistic believers, the apostles and other Judean believers were not ready to receive Gentiles in the church. Since Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, they thought that the gospel was to be shared only with Jews from near and far. The Gentiles would first have to be converted to Judaism and then be accepted into the community of faith. In other words, before Gentiles could become Christians, they first had to become Jews. That was the thinking that needed to be changed among those early Jewish believers. The gift of tongues given to Cornelius and his household was added as a clear, observable sign that such a concept was mistaken, that God has no favourites, and that, in terms of salvation, both Jews and Gentiles stand on equal footing before him. Question. Read Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through to 18. How did the church in Jerusalem react to Peter's experience at Caesarea? Acts 11, beginning at verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked at it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and as he had come on us at the beginning, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads 
to life. The long-established Jewish prejudice concerning Gentiles led the believers in Jerusalem to criticise Peter for having eaten with uncircumcised people. It seems that they were more concerned with Jewish ceremonial scruples than with the salvation of Cornelius and his family. They might have feared that if the church broke with such practices, it would represent a denial of Israel's faith. They would lose God's favour and become liable themselves to the same accusations from their fellow Jews that had led to Stephen's death. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 136, The time had come for an entire new phase of work to be entered upon by the Church of Christ. The door that many of the Jewish converts had closed against the Gentiles was now to be thrown open, and the Gentiles who accepted the gospel were to be regarded as on an equality with the Jewish disciples, without the necessity of observing the right of circumcision. End of quote. As at Pentecost here, too, they spoke in languages previously unknown to them, rather than in ecstatic and heavenly languages. Only the purpose was different, while for the apostles the gift aimed at the church's world mission, for Cornelius it functioned as a confirmation that God's grace was operating even among the Gentiles. Wednesday, August 8, The Church in Antioch Motivated by Cornelius's conversion, Luke briefly interrupts his account of Peter's ministry to show the Gospel's initial progress among the Gentiles. Question, read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. What happened when some Jerusalem refugees came to Antioch? Acts 11, beginning at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he met him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This section in Acts chapter 11 refers back to Paul's persecution in chapter 8. Thus, while the previous developments were taking place in Judea and elsewhere, some of the Hellenistic believers, who were forced to leave Jerusalem, were spreading the gospel way beyond the borders of Judea. Luke gives special attention to the great city of Antioch in Syria. 
where refugees began to preach to their fellow Jews and to the Hellenists, and many of them were accepting the faith. Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8 was then being realised through the efforts of these Hellenistic Jewish Christians. They were the ones who became the real founders of the mission to the Gentiles. Because of the church's success in Antioch, the apostles in Jerusalem decided to send Barnabas to evaluate the situation. Noticing the great opportunities for the advancement of the gospel, Barnabas sent for Paul in Tarsus, feeling he could be a vital helper. Barnabas was right. During the year he and Paul worked together, large crowds, mostly Gentiles, heard the gospel. The enthusiasm with which they spoke about Jesus Christ made the believers there become known for the first time as Christians, as we read in verse 26. That they were called Christians indicates the term was coined by those outside the church, probably as a form of mockery, while the believers preferred to refer to themselves as brethren in Acts one sixteen, disciples in Acts six one, or even saints in Acts nine thirteen. By the time Acts was written, Christian had become a common designation, as we read in Acts 26.28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Luke seems to approve of it. Christian means a follower or an adherent of Christ. So to finish today, what does it mean to you to be called a Christian? What about your life is truly Christian? That is, how differently do you live from non-Christians in the things that really matter? Thursday, August 9, Herod's Persecution Turning again to Judea, we are faced now with the account of King Herod's executing James, the brother of John and son of Zebedee, as you'll remember from Mark one nineteen. He also wanted to do the same with Peter. Question. Read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through to 4. What does this teach about the challenges the early church faced? Acts 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. The King Herod mentioned here is Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, mentioned in Matthew 2.1, which reads, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. He ruled from AD 40 to 44. As a result of his show of piety, he earned popularity among his Jewish subjects, especially the Pharisees. 
His attempt to win the favour of the Jews by attacking some apostles fits perfectly with what we know of him from other sources. Because James's execution was effective in fulfilling Agrippa's agenda, he planned to execute Peter as well. Peter was arrested and delivered to four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, one squad for each of the four watches of the night. Peter had four soldiers at a time with him. He would be chained to two soldiers, one on each side, and two would guard the entrance. Such extreme precaution was certainly taken to try to avoid what had already happened to Peter and John some time before in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Question. Read Acts chapter 12, verses 5 through to 18. What happened in response to the brethren's prayers? Acts 12, beginning at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. The night before the day that Agrippa had planned to put Peter on trial and execute him, Peter was once again miraculously released by an angel. Next, we find the story of Agrippa's death 
at Caesarea in verses 20 to 23. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace, because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Attempts have been made to identify the cause of his death. Peritonitis, an ulcer, even poison. Yet Luke is clear in saying that the king died because of a divine judgment. So to finish the day, James is killed, Peter is delivered, and Herod faces divine judgment. In some cases we see justice, in others it doesn't appear that way. What should this teach us about how we just don't have all the answers to all our questions, and why we need to live by faith regarding what we don't understand? Friday, August 10. From the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1059, under Ellen White comments, we read, In the tenth chapter of Acts, we have still another instance of the ministration of heavenly angels, resulting in the conversion of Cornelius and his company. Let these chapters, 8 to 10, be read and receive special attention. In them, we see that heaven is much nearer to the Christian who is engaged in the work of soul-saving than many suppose. We should learn through them also the lesson of God's regard for every human being, and that each should treat his fellow man as one of the Lord's instrumentalities for the accomplishment of his work in the earth. End of quote. And from another book titled The Acts of the Apostles, but this time written by Howard Marshall, page 206 and 207, When the church prays, the cause of God will go forward, and his enemies will come to naught, even if this does not exempt the church from suffering and martyrdom. Luke's belief in the victory of the gospel is thoroughly realistic and recognises that, though the word of God is not fettered, its servants may well have to suffer and be bound. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. And there are four of them. One, Cornelius is described as a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God, Acts 10.2. It is evident that God's Spirit was already working in Cornelius long before he met Peter. Could it be that his devotional life was an opportunity for God to reach him with the gospel message? What lesson is there for us in his story? 2. In class, go back to Monday's final question and ask yourself this question. What is the cultural, social and political context in which you live that breeds the kind of ethnic tension that Christians are not supposed to harbour? 
In other words, when we need to, how can we all as Christians rise above our culture and background? 3. Despite their damage, Paul's efforts to persecute turned out to good effect. The refugees who came to Antioch started preaching to Jews and to Hellenists. In class, share a personal experience of pain and suffering that God turned into a blessing. And four, James was one of Jesus' closest disciples, as we read in Mark 5 and Mark 9 and Mark 14. Yet, he was the first of the twelve to suffer martyrdom. What other examples do we find in the Bible of faithful people suffering unfairly? What lessons should we draw from these accounts for ourselves about the whole question of suffering? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled A Reoccurring Nightmare and once again it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. A dream scared Helen Yen, a retired housewife in Taiwan's capital, Taipei. In the dream, she would go to some place and then realise that she couldn't find her way back home. The nightmare tormented her nightly. The daily hours were more pleasant. Helen spent time with her husband, adult children and granddaughter. She began attending free menopause classes at Taiwan Adventist Hospital. In the classes, Helen heard about the nearby Sungshan Seventh-day Adventist Church, who was seeking volunteers for a new community outreach program. The church planned to offer Tuesday classes on Alzheimer's disease, a major challenge in the local community, as well as cooking classes and Bible studies on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I had always wanted to volunteer in the community, Helen said in an interview at the church. I had never heard of Adventists before, but I just came to this church and the pastor invited me to help in the kitchen. Helen went to the church at 6am on Tuesdays to bake bread to sell at the Alzheimer's classes. The bread, also offered to the church's 180 members, helped supplement outreach funding from the Taiwan Conference. Helen said volunteering gave her a new sense of fulfilment and joy. She began to visit the church every weekday and soon was attending Bible classes led by the pastor's wife, Brenda Hoang, who oversees the outreach. Helen, a Sunday churchgoer, heard about the Seventh-day Sabbath. I felt something strange in my heart, Helen said. I couldn't go on with the way I was living after discovering this new information. She started to worship at the Adventist church every Sabbath. Before I thought, I'm very blessed because I have a husband, children and a granddaughter, she said. Then I realised that there is something more to life. Nearly two years after Helen started volunteering, she is preparing to join the church through baptism. She is our first fruit, said the church's pastor, Raymond Coe. In all, 300 people have visited the church's Sabbath services as a result of the outreach program, he said. Helen had had the reoccurring nightmare about not being able to find her way back home for a year. But, 
After I came to this church, I stopped having this dream, she said. I realised that the Seventh-day Adventist truth is the way home to heaven. And your Sabbath School mission offerings help support community outreach programs such as the one that led Helen Yen to baptism. Your reader for this week's Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been Dr. Percy Harold. It has been produced in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind, distributed under the auspices of the Sabbath School Department by HopeChannel.com.